The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. The first church that I served as a called minister was in Washington, D.C. It was the Universalist National Memorial Church, the Cathedral of Universalism before the two denominations merged. And the older members, they would talk about some of the greatest history, like they would introduce me when I first arrived to Eleanor Webb, who was a woman in her 80s by then, and the last person alive who'd been in one of Clara Barton's Sunday school classes. Clara Barton having been a universalist and a member of that Washington church. And then they would say, sometimes talking about, about the same era, that it was a rumor that Walt Whitman would periodically attend the church. Later I would hear that actually it was a rumor and maybe true that Walt Whitman liked to attend all the churches, or many of them at least, in Washington, D.C., he was a Quaker by background, but as you know, if you've read him, he's someone who spoke and wrote about the mystical and the transcendent experiences of a God, if you call it that, if he would have called it that, this force that was in all creation and even in our own human bodies, in their fullness, in all of us, in all. Some would call him a humanist, I actually just think he was beyond categories. He certainly broke up categories, broke them wide open. His formal education was over by the age of 11, which I find remarkable. But his informal education in the books he found in libraries and the news and opinion pieces and art he discovered while working as a printer, and as an editor and a writer for newspapers and periodicals, all of that, I guess, was part of his graduate school education in art and life and the letters. One of his early transformative relationships, something that transformed his own relationship to mind and body and soul, was the novel Consuelo by George Sand. Sand, the nom de plume of Amandine Lucille Aurore Dupin, 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 excuse me, Baroness Dudvin, was a, a popular and a shocking novel in the themes and the choices that were made about what to depict, but also. George Sand was provocative in her own life and the freedoms and gusto she expressed in everything, her own sexual and gender expression, the choices that she made that were themselves category busting. And at 23, Whitman, reading this novel by Sand, thought it a masterpiece. And it deeply shaped his, shaped his view of nature, and freedom, the quality of women and men in their lives and relationships to each other, sexuality and bodies and spirituality, all would be these themes in Whitman that he would take up. And the permission and invitation 
that he felt to break genres and mores wide open. It bears mentioning that Whitman wasn't entirely beyond his times. Although he opposed, for instance, the expansion of slavery into the Western territories, he was not completely aligned with the abolitionists, and he didn't see beyond all the false narratives around race, in fact, in some ways perpetuating some of them in some of his writing and thinking. So his category-shattering mind had its limits. Having said that, there are so many angles to his life and his work. The project that he had to try and capture a distinctly American voice. The connection that he had to the transcendentalists at the time. I don't know if you know, but Leaves of Grass had eight different publications and versions with different editions and edits throughout those different editions. And the first edition met with some lukewarm and maybe affronted or, um, well, uh, surprised reception. And it was self-published, and it was Ralph Waldo Emerson's enthusiastic reception of it that some credit for it actually getting off the ground as something that got a hearing in public the way it did. Whitman's personal life is something that lots of people have spent lots of time writing and thinking about, debating about. His freestyle verse that he championed but for today, it seems like the place to ground ourselves is in music. Whitman had no formal training in music, and yet, as you all know, the theme and metaphor and language of music resounds in his work. Seeking all that was particularly American as he did, Whitman wanted America to have its own form of music. He listened to all kinds of music and championed them, and early on was really drawn to simple, melodic music and folk music and musical groups and promoted that. And maybe not surprisingly, as a result, when he first heard opera, he rejected it as something not just foreign but contrived. As part of his journalism career, he actually wrote a lot about music and wrote reviews. Robert Strasberg writes of Whitman that Whitman complained about, quote, and this is Whitman's in a review, the trills, the agonized squalls, the lackadaisical drawlings, which isn't even a word, the sharp, ear-piercing shrieks, the gurgling death rattles. <laughs> which is to say, he was slow to appreciate grand opera. But when he did, he became passionately fond of it, writes Strasberg. He was to maintain, Strasberg says later in life, that the dramatic overtures, the passionate arias, the eloquent, sobbing recitatives were among the shaping forces of his freestyle form of poetry. One of Whitman's final reviews, in fact, is an encomium to opera, as it turns out. He states, quote, you listen to the music and the songs and the choruses, and a new world, a liquid world, rushes like a torrent through you. Whitman called music a divine art. Later, he would say that he had to translate the music that he loved into poetry that he wrote. 
It was that much a part of the inspiration of what and how he wrote. And then others would find that Whitman's poetry, poetry when they read it, begged to be set to music. Vaughn Williams' second wife, Ursula Vaughn Williams, would say that from 1902 or 1903, Leaves of Grass was her husband's constant companion. Those words and setting them to music, literally making them sing, would inspire Vaughn Williams to write when other larger projects, particularly his Sea Symphony, or Symphony No. 1 as it's also called, had ground to a creative halt. And so it seems there is this delightful lineage that runs with and through Walt Whitman. There is the groundbreaking risk and permission to write and live one's full self into being that he finds in the works of George Sand. And the torrent that opera and other music released inside him there is how all of it gives rise to groundbreaking themes and forms in his own conception of poetry and its purpose. And then there is how this poetry swept up other minds and hearts into that same torrent of challenge and permission and creativity unleashed in the ways that we've already heard and the ways that we will hear. So many courageous invitations that were given and accepted that took people into unknown regions to break the sound barriers, if you will, of how and what we speak of in this life. And Whitman's extraordinary place in it all. There was a child went forth every day and the first object he looked upon and received with wonder or pity or love or dread, that object he became. And that object became part of him for the day or a certain part of the day or for many years or stretching cycles of years. The early lilacs became part of this child and grass and white and red morning glories and white and red clover and the song of the Phoebe bird and the March-born lambs, and the sow's pink-faint litter, and the mare's foal, and the cow's calf, and the noisy brood of the barnyard or by the mire of the pondside, and the fish suspending themselves so curiously below there, and the beautiful curious liquid, and the water plants with their graceful flat heads, all became part of him. And the field sprouts of April and May became part of him, Winter grain sprouts, and those of the light yellow corn, and of the esculent roots of the garden, and the apple trees covered with blossoms, and the fruit afterward, and wood berries, and the commonest weeds by the road, and the old drunkard staggering home from the outhouse of the tavern whence he had lately risen, and the schoolmistress that passed on her way to the school, and the friendly boys that passed, and the quarrelsome boys, and the tidy and fresh-cheeked girls, and the barefoot black boy and girl, and all the changes of, of city and country wherever he went. His own parents, he that had propelled the father's stuff at night and fathered him, and she that conceived him in her womb and birthed him, they gave this child more of themselves than that, 
They gave him afterward every day. They and of them became part of him. The mother at home, quietly placing the dishes on the supper table, the mother with mild words, clean her cap and gown, a wholesome odor falling off her person and clothes as she walks by. The father, strong, self-sufficient, manly, mean, angered, unjust, the blow, the quick, loud word, the tight bargain, the crafty lure, the family usages, the language, the company, the furniture, the yearning and swelling heart, affection that will not be gainsaid, the sense of what is real, the thought if, after all, it should prove unreal, the doubts of daytime and the doubts of nighttime, the curious whether and how, whether that which appears so is so, or is it all flashes and specks? Men and women crowding fast in the streets. If they are not flashes and specks, what are they? The streets themselves and the facades of houses, the goods in the windows, vehicles, teams, the tiered wharves and the huge crossing at the ferries, the village and the highlands seen from afar at sunset, the river between, shadows, aureola and mist, light falling on roofs and gables of white or brown three miles off, the schooner nearby sleepily dropping down the tide, the little boat slack-toed astern, the hurrying, tumbling waves and quick broken crests and slapping, the strata of colored clouds, the long bar of maroon tint away solitary by itself, the spread of purity it lies motionless in, the horizon's edge, the flying sea crow, the fragrance of salt marsh and shore mud. These became part of that child who went forth every day and who now goes and will always go forth every day. And these become of him or her that peruses them now. <laughs>